Hello, friends. It's May 29th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. We are on day 149 of our 365-day journey through the Scriptures. My name is David McAdam, pastor and teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. I am happy to be reading through the Bible each day, progressively making our way towards our goal through the Scriptures with fresh discoveries in both Old and New Testaments. On our tour, we're seeing how each book is part of one cohesive whole, the story of God's redeeming work that finds its culmination in the glory of the King of Kings, the Messiah, the Son of God who proves to be the Savior of the world. We are reading from the 10th book in the Old Testament, the book of 2 Samuel, and we are reading from the Gospel according to John in the New Testament. The theme of betrayal features in both the Old and New Testament readings today. Both King David and King Jesus will be wounded in the house of their friends. They are betrayed by those they held dear. Absalom will betray his father David. Judas will betray his master, Jesus. Jesus receives a deceitful kiss from Judas. Jesus knows full well that the devil has captured Judas's heart. Absalom receives a deceived kiss from David. Little does he know that Absalom has set his heart on usurping David's throne. 2 Samuel chapter 14 is where we pick up the historical narrative, beginning with verse 1. You can find this under the May 29th heading of the One Year Bible, available at your local bookstore, or on your phone or computer at the oneyearbibleonline.com, or you can turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 14 in whatever Bible you have available. This year I am reading from the English Standard Version. 2 Samuel chapter 14 verse 1. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa, and brought from there a wise woman, and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner, and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king, and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, She fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow, my husband is dead, and your servant had two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant, and they say, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed, and so they would destroy the heir also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left, and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. Then she said, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son be not destroyed. He said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. He said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself. 
inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid, and your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant. For the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, The word of my lord the king will set me at rest, for my lord the king is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. The Lord your God be with you. Then the king answered the woman, Do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, Let my lord the king speak. The king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered and said, As surely as you live, my lord the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or the left from anything that my lord the king has said. It was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my Lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God to know all things that are on the earth. Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. Go, bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord the king in that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Now in all Israel there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head, two hundred shekels by the king's weight. There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. And he sent a second time, but Joab would not come. Then he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king, to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be still there. Now therefore let me go into the presence of the king, and if there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king, and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Chapter 15 After this Absalom got himself a chariot and horses, and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, 
See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went two hundred men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out, and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out, and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the six hundred Gittites, who had followed him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us, since I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And this is the end of today's portion from the Old Testament passage from Second Samuel. And as is our custom, let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. The events that follow David's sin with Bathsheba have been referred to as a trail of tears. It started with David's adultery that led to his murder of Uriah. It continued with the death of his firstborn son of Bathsheba. Then his daughter Tamar was raped by his son Amnon. Amnon refused to follow the law and marry Tamar. David and Absalom are both outraged by the crime, but none deal with it according to God's law. Absalom conspires to take revenge and kill Amnon at a sheep-shearing festival. Absalom, now a fugitive, flees to Gerar. David, the father, and Absalom, the son, have been estranged from each other since Absalom ordered David's eldest son's death. David's nephew and the commander of David's army seek to expedite David's reconciliation with Absalom. 
he orders a woman from Tekoa, who is known to be wise, to go to David pretending to be a widow who has two sons who got into a fight. There was no one there to intervene and separate them. One killed the other, and the other relatives wanted to kill her only surviving son, the only heir to her deceased husband's inheritance. She pleads that the king intervene so that the avengers of blood would not continue to destroy the family's hopes. Once David gives word to protect the murderer, the sole heir, the woman boldly points out the inconsistency of the king. Why would he act to protect the well-being of her family when he does not act to protect the well-being of his own family and that of the nation by bringing back Absalom, the next in line to the throne? What the woman says to David prophetically puts the gospel in view. For we will surely die, and are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14 Our natural state as a result of Adam's sin is one of death and banishment. The law of God that upholds justice demands our banishment, eternal separation from himself. But God, who is rich in mercy and is all-wise, has planned a way so that the banished one will not be cast off from him. Jesus is that way. He is the way that those who have been banished and condemned under the law can be reconciled and be brought back to the Father. Jesus is the way that God has ordained so that the banished cannot be cast off forever. David recognizes that Joab has sent this woman to manipulate the situation and influence him to bring Absalom back to Israel. Absalom is invited back to Jerusalem, but is in effect under house arrest for two years. Meanwhile, we learn of Absalom's family, including the fact that he has a daughter whom he names after his sister, Tamar. We also learn that Absalom is still an attention-seeking politician. He sets Joab's fields on fire to protest that Joab has not convinced the king to have a face-to-face meeting with him. David does not call to see Absalom personally until two years have passed. When David does see his son, his heart is once again open to him. David kisses Absalom. It is a kiss of reconciliation. However, once he is free, Absalom uses his freedom to advance his egotistical quest for the throne. He meets with people outside the official palace walls at the city gate. This is where anyone entering or leaving the city of Jerusalem must pass. Both local and national officials would meet there daily to discuss national policy and to conduct business. Absalom, good-looking and acting the clever politician, knew how to work the crowd. He slanders the king's character, misrepresents his father's government, and suggests that there should be another king who would better represent the people, thinking, of course, of himself. Absalom takes on Satan-like characteristics, pride, lying, cheating, destroying, opposing, and usurping the authority of the one duly appointed to rule. Absalom is also a thief. Notice Second Samuel chapter 15, verse 6. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom devises a plan to go to Hebron and have his supporters declare him to be king. Hebron is where his father David was first declared king. Absalom asks permission to go to Hebron under the pretense of fulfilling a vow to worship the Lord there. Secret messengers are sent to all the tribes instructing their members to proclaim Absalom is king in Hebron when they hear the sound of the trumpets. Two hundred men from Jerusalem are invited to accompany Absalom to Hebron, not clearly knowing his intentions. 
once in Hebron and offering sacrifices, he seeks to bolster his political power by summoning David's counselor Ahithophel. Though a trusted friend of David, Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba, whom David had mistreated. Perhaps Absalom knew of some secret misgiving that Ahithophel had against David and used this to steal away his loyalty. Ahithophel betrays David and joins Absalom. When David hears that the hearts of the men of Israel are now with Absalom, he decides to flee. He did not want to see the city destroyed or to be forced to slay his own son. With a heavy heart, David crosses the Kidron with all his men following. This sadness is recorded in David's Psalms. Many commentators believe that David's exit from Jerusalem into the Kidron Valley is portrayed in Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of death, thou art with me. David records the bitterness of Ahithophel's betrayal in the Psalms. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14. In Psalm 41, verse 9, we read, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 3 is also written about this experience. Psalm 3, verse 1 through 4. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased! Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah. David encourages Ittai to go back to the city and stay with King Absalom, as he had only recently come to Jerusalem, and should not have to be put in a position of being an exile. Ittai, however, pledges his loyalty. Wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means by life or death, there will your servant be. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 So Ittai marches on with David, who is once again the despised and rejected king. This scene brings to mind the conviction of David's great-grandmother, which we read about in the book of Ruth. You may remember when Ruth the Moabite widow refused her mother-in-law's suggestion to go back to be with her own people, but instead pledged her loyal devotion and identification, saying, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Now let's go to the New Testament reading today from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 24. We go from the story of the betrayal of Absalom to the story of the betrayal of Judas, from King David crossing the Kidron to Jesus crossing the Kidron. John, chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, 
went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion from the New Testament, the Gospel according to John. Let's take a few moments to recap and reflect. After the Passover meal, the upper room discourse, and after praying for his disciples and those who would believe their preached word, Jesus crosses the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane, where there is an olive grove. Gethsemane means olive press. Jesus is being oppressed by the forces at work in the world, the spirits of disobedience, and Satan himself. Luke chapter 22, verse 2. In this garden, he will sweat drops of blood. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. His soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Judas's familiarity with Jesus' habits and favorite spots of prayer provide the intelligence needed for the Roman cohort and officers from the priests and Pharisees to arrest him in Gethsemane. Jesus does not put up a fight. He asks the temple guard, Whom do you seek? When they reply, Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus replies and once again uses the divine name, I am. John chapter 18, verse 5. When he does, the guards draw back and fall to the ground. John 18, verse 6. Jesus is the one who is in control here. 
he asks them again, Whom do you seek? When they tell him that it is Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus asks that they let his disciples go safely, once again fulfilling his role as the Good Shepherd in John chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. In his characteristic zeal to defend Jesus, Peter cuts off the ear of a member of the Roman guard named Malchus. Jesus reminds Peter that his betrayal into the hands of men is what he had told them about. His hour had come. This is the cup that he came to drink. Jesus is bound and taken to the first of a series of trials. According to Jewish law, this one was illegal, taking place after official hours and without all needed parties present to make a fair judgment. They take Jesus to Annas, the ex-officio high priest. He had served in that office from the year 6 to 15 A.D. and then was deposed by Roman rulers. His son-in-law, Caiaphas, was appointed high priest and held that office from 18 to 36 or 37 A.D. But according to Jewish law, the office of high priest was held for life, so even though Roman authorities had deposed Annas, the Jews continued to recognize him and allotted him much authority. However, Caiaphas would make the final decisions. These men were evil. John points out that even with his murderous intention, Caiaphas had spoken prophetically when he said, It was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. John chapter 18, verse 15. Once again, John lets us know that he was a first-hand witness to these events because he was known by the high priest and therefore given access to the courtyard. John uses this favor to persuade a doorkeeper to let Peter in to warm himself by the fire. There, in the courtyard of Annas, Peter denies the Lord three times, just as Jesus had predicted that he would. John chapter 18, verse 17, verse 25, verse 27, Matthew chapter 26, verse 34, Mark chapter 14, verse 30, Luke chapter 24, verse 34, and John chapter 13, verse 38. Jesus is questioned about his teachings. Jesus reminded them that they had already heard what he had to say. He said that they should question those who heard him. One of the officers slapped Jesus, thinking him impertinent to answer the high priest that way. Jesus asked the officer to testify whether he had answered incorrectly. Once again, Jesus silences his accusers with his forthrightness. He is taken away, bound to Annas' son-in-law, the official high priest, Caiaphas. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, verses 97 through 112. Let's go to the next eight-verse section, in which every verse begins with the Hebrew letter Mem. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And now we go to the next eight-verse section, in which every verse begins with the Hebrew letter Nun. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. 
Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. And this is the end of our reading from the book of Psalms. In our reading today, the psalmist is disclosing his daily habit of biblical meditation. He meditates upon the word all day long. In Psalm 119, verse 97, Do you believe it? Do you understand the enormous personal benefit? In verse 98 we read, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. They are ever with me, says the NIV or the ESV. Not only does his meditation upon God's word make him wiser than his enemies, but also wiser than his teachers. In verses 99 and 100, He has been delivered from evil paths as he has attempted to follow God's counsel. Through the word he has learned to hate every wrong path. In verse 104, What an appetite he has for God's word. Do you share his estimations of the word's value? Is the word your treasure? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, in verse 103. In the next section, in which each verse begins with the Hebrew letter Nun, he continues to expound how important the Word of God is. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, in verse 105. He recognizes his own vulnerability in this world where there are so many snares. His hope of personal victory is related to his purposeful pursuit of the Word's teaching. His heart rejoices in this. And before we leave off on our reading today, let's go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. We're in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 8 and 9 today. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. These verses are certainly good value clarifiers. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Here is another verse reminding us of what is most important in life, being in a right relationship with God and His Word and recognizing that God is in control as we make our plans. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now let's pray. O Lord, we make our appeal to Your mercies and the wisdom of Your Word. Keep us from snares, even when we are in tough times and walking in what we recognize as the valley of the shadow of death, remind us of your unfailing presence. You are our strength and our shield, and your word is our delight and a lamp to our feet. May we walk in the light that you give instead of warming ourselves at the popular fires of unenlightened opinion. Our hearts rejoice in the sure hope that you will complete the work you have begun in us. Give us courage to walk into the future with your victory in view. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for participating in our Bible reading today as part of this Bible reading community going through the Bible in a year. God willing, we'll be back tomorrow, and we hope that you can join us. If you have any questions or comments and you'd like to contact us, you can write an email to podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries and what's going on this summer, you can go to our website, newlife.org, or to our auxiliary ministry, newlifefinearts.org. God bless you and hope to be with you tomorrow.